Heavenly Father, we come before you on grace. And Father, we ask that you please let your word be spoken today. Father, please help all those who hear um, to get the truth of the message. Father, please help me to convey anything properly. And Father, please just continue to guide us on your narrow path. Please continue to fill us with your spirit and keep us from turning to the left or the right. Please enlarge the borders of our hearts and write the commands on them that we may walk in them daily. Please continue to always guide us in the righteousness, Father. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Yeshua, to die on that stake to save us from our sins, to remove our yoke of bondage to sin, that we may walk in righteousness. We have hope, faith, and trust in us, as well as all that you do for us, Father. We love you, and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. To cut to our portion, we're going to read Numbers 19. Through 22, verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. This is the legal statute that the Lord has commanded. Instruct the Israelites to bring you an unblemished red cow that has no defect and has never been yoked. Give it to Eleazar the priest. And he will have it brought outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Eleazar the priest is to take some of, the, some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. The cow must be burned in his sight. Its hide, flesh, and blood are to be burned along with its dung. The priest is to take cedar wood, hyssop, and crimson yarn and throw them onto the fire where the cow is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. After that, he may enter the camp, but he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. The one who burned the cow must also wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he will remain unclean until evening. A man who is clean is to gather up the cow's ashes and deposit them outside the camp in a ceremonially clean place. The ashes must be kept by the Israelite community for preparing the water to remove impurity. It is a sin offering. Then the one who gathers up the cow's ashes must wash his clothes, and he will remain unclean until evening. This is a permanent statute for the Israelites and for the foreigner who resides among them. The person who touches any human corpse will be unclean for seven days. He is to purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and seventh days, he will not be clean. Anyone who touches a body of a person who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. The person that, that person will be cut off from Israel. He remains unclean because the water for impurity has not been sprinkled on him, and his uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when a person dies in a tent. Everyone who enters the tent and everyone who is already in the tent will be unclean for seven days. And any open container without a lid tied on it is unclean. Anyone in the open field who touches a person or who has been killed by the sword or who has died or even touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. Of the unclean person, they are to take some of the ashes of the burnt sin offering, put them in a jar, and add fresh water to them. A person who is clean is to take hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle the tent, all the furnishings, and the people who were there. He is also to sprinkle the one who touched a bone, a grave, a corpse, or a person who has been killed. The person who is clean is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third day and the seventh day. After he purifies the unclean person on the seventh day, the one being purified must wash his clothes and bathe in water, and he will be clean by evening. But a person who is unclean does, and does not purify himself, that person will be cut off from the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water for impurity has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. This is a permanent statute for them. 
The person who sprinkles the water for impurity is to wash his clothes, and whoever touches the water for impurity will be unclean until evening. Anything unclean or any, yeah, any unclean person, anything any unclean person touches will be unclean. And anyone who touches it will be unclean until evening. Chapter 20. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. There was no water for the community. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into, the, into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us from, up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went down from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell down with their faces to the ground, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, Take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that a great amount of water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to show my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the where the Israelites quarreled with them, or with the Lord, and he showed his holiness to them. Quick pause, just want to point out that the first time that Moses uh, was told to bring water from a rock, he was told to strike it. This time, he was told to speak to it. Or the first time, he was told to... Um, yeah, I had that backward. I had that backwards. Yeah, you were to speak to the rock while they watch, yeah. Take the staff and you were to speak. But the first time, he was told to uh, strike it twice. And he struck it this time as well. Therefore, disobeying uh, the command of the Most High. Anyways, uh, verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. This is what your brother Israel says. You know all the hardships that have overtaken us. Our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt many years. But the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice. He sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now look, we are in Kadesh, a city on the border of your territory. Please let us travel through your land. We won't travel through any field or vineyard or drink any well water. We will travel the king's highway. We won't turn to the right or to the left until we have traveled through your territory. But Edom answered and said, You must not travel through our land, or we will come out and confront you with the sword. We will go on the main road, the Israelites replied to them. And if we or our herds drink your water, we will pay its price. There will be no problems. Only let us travel through on foot. Yet Edom is insisted, you must not travel through. And they came out to confront them with a large voice, force of heavily armed people. Edom refused to allow Israel to travel. And Israel turned away from them. After they set out from Kadesh, 
the entire Israelite community, came to Mount Hor. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I have given the Israelites, because you both have rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Remember, he was supposed to speak to the rock, but he struck it twice, because the first time he was commanded to bring water from a rock, he was told to strike it twice. He did not listen. Uh, verse 25, take Aaron and his son Eleazar and bring them up Mount, Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar. Aaron will be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they climbed Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. After Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And the whole, when the whole community saw that Aaron had passed away, the entire house of Israel mourned him for 30 days. Chapter 21. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming on the Atharim road, he, he fought against Israel and captured some prisoners. Then Israel made a vow to the Lord. If you deliver this hands, we will completely destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's request. The Canaanites were defeated, and Israel completely destroyed them and their cities, so they named the place Hormah. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Uh, quick pause. If you notice, they, they had said that they had sinned against the Lord and Moses. They have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against Moses. Because there's always been um, basically an archetype of a Messiah. We have Messiah Yeshua now. Then it would have been Moses. And it's no different now than it was then. If you speak against, um, if you basically, if you deny the Mashiach, the Messiah, Yeshua, you denied the Lord. The same exact thing applied here. If you denied Moses, you denied the Lord because he was the one that was anointed and set forth or, or sent out to guide the Israelites. Same as Yeshua. Uh, continuing on to verse 10. The Israelites set out and camped at Oboth. They set out from Oboth and camped at Iabarim in the wilderness that borders Moab on the east. From there, they went and camped at, at Zered Valley. They set out from there and camped on the other side of the Arnon River in the wilderness that extends from the Amorite border because the Arnon was the Moabite border between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is stated in the Book of the Lord's Wars. Waheb and Sufa and the ravines of the Arnon, even the slopes of the ravines that extend to the site of Ar and lie along the border of Moab. From there they went to Be'er, the well the Lord told Moses about. 
gather the people so I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up well, sing to it. The princes dug the well, the nobles of the people hollowed it out with a scepter and with their staffs. They went from the wilderness to Matanah, from Matanah to Nahaliel, to Nahaliel, to Bamoth, from Bamoth to the valley in the territory of Moab, near the Pisgah highlands that overtook the wasteland. Israel sent messengers to say to Sihon, king of the Amorites, let us travel through your land. We won't go into the fields or vineyards. We won't drink any well water. We will travel the king's highway until we have traveled through your territory. But Sihon would not let Israel travel through his territory. Instead, he gathered his whole army and went out to confront Israel in the wilderness. When he came to Jehez, he fought against Israel. Israel struck him with the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, but only up to the Ammonite border because it was fortified. Israel took all the cities and lived in these Amorite cities, including Heshbon and all its villages. Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken control of all his land as far as the Arnon. Therefore the poets say, Come to Heshbon, let it be rebuilt, let the city of Sihon be restored, for fire came out of Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lord of Arnon's heights. The lords of Arnon's heights. Woe to you, Moab. You have been destroyed, people of Kamosh. He gave up his sons as refugees and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, the Amorite king. We threw them down. Heshbon has been destroyed as far as Dibon. We caused desolation as far as Nophah, which reaches as far as Medeba. So Israel lived in the Amorites' land. After Moses sent spies to Jazer, Israel captured its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against them with his whole army to do battle at Edri. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have handed him over to you along with his whole army and his land. Do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon. So they struck him, his sons, and his whole army until no one was left, and they took possession of his land. The Israelites traveled and traveled on and camped in the plains of Moab near the Jordan across from Jericho. And now we'll move on to the Haftor portion, uh, which is in Judges, Judges chapter 11. That's where it starts. We have Judges chapter 11. And it says, <clears throat> Jephthah the Gileadite was a great warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead was his father. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You will have no inheritance in our father's house because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some lawless men joined Jephthah and traveled with him. Sometime at, later, the Ammonites fought against Israel. When the Ammonites made war with Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Je get Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to him, Come, be our commander, and let's fight against the Ammonites. Jephthah replied to the elders of Gilead, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why then have you come to me now when you're in trouble? They answered Jephthah, Since that's true, we now turn to you. 
Come with us, fight the Ammonites, and you will become leader of all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to them, If you are bringing me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is our witness if we don't do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. The people put him over themselves as leader and commander, and Jephthah repeated all his terms in the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me and my land? The king of the Ammonites said to Jephthah's messengers, Just want to point out this is agency here. <laughs> when Israel came to Egypt, they seized my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and the Jordan. Now restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites to tell him, This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take away the land of, the Mo of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came from Egypt, Israel traveled through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please, let us travel through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. They also sent messengers to the king of Moab, but he refused. So Israel stayed in Kadesh. Then they traveled through the wilderness and around the lands of Edom and Moab, they came to the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon, but did not enter into the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. Israel said to him, Please let us travel through your land to our country. But Sihon would not trust Israel to pass through his territory. Instead, Sihon gathered all his people, camped at Jahaz, and fought with Israel. Then the Lord God of Israel handed over Sihon and all his people to Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of the entire land of the Amorites who lived in that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. The Lord God of Israel has now driven out the Amorites before his people Israel, and will you now force us out? Isn't it true that you may possess whatever your God, Chemosh? drives out for you, and we may possess everything the Lord our God drives out before us. Now, are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend with Israel or fight against them? While Israel lived 300 years in Eshbon and in its villages, in the Aror and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, why didn't you take them back at that time? I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. Let the Lord, who is the judge, decide today between the Israelites and the Ammonites. But the king of the Ammonites would not listen to Jephthah's message that he sent him. The spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh, and then through Mizpah of Gilead. He crossed over to the Ammonites from Mizpah of Gilead. Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand over the Ammonites to me, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Jephthah crossed over the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord handed them over to him. He defeated twenty of their cities with a great slaughter from Aror all the way to the entrance of Minith and to abel Karamim. So the Ammonites were subdued before the Israelites. And we go to Ezekiel 47, and we'll read 1 through 12.
says, Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming outside of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Next, he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate that faced east. There, the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went out east with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile. He led me through the water. It came up to my knees. He measured off another third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my waist. Again, he measured off a third of a mile, and it was a river that I could not cross on foot, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed on foot. He asked me, Do you see this, son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the river bank. He said to me, This water flows out to the eastern region and goes down to the Arava. When it enters the sea, the sea of foul water, the water of the sea becomes fresh. Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows. And there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there, since the water will become fresh. There will be life everywhere the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Eneglaim. These will become places where nets are spread out to dry. Their fish will consist of many different kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, yet its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be left for salt. All kinds of trees providing food will grow along both of the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. And if you look up in, in Gedi and in Eglaim, these are real places, and they are along uh, the Dead Sea. So obviously... This is something that has not happened yet because you can't fish in the Dead Sea because everything in there is, well, dead. <laughs> That's why it's called the Dead Sea. It's, full, it's got too much salt in it. Uh, Malachi 3, 1 through 5. It says, See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, fire and like cleansing lime. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment. And I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless and cheat the wage earner, and against those who do or who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And I'll go ahead and read six. Because I, Yahweh, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. And we'll go to Enoch, first Enoch. Chapter 52, 1 through 9. And it reads like this. 
And after those days in that place where I had seen all the visions of that which is hidden, I had been carried off in a whirlwind, and they had borne me towards the west. There mine eyes saw all the secret things of heaven that will be a mountain of iron, and a mountain of copper, and a mountain of silver, and a mountain of gold, and a mountain of soft metal, and a mountain of lead. And I asked the angel who went with me, saying, What things are these which I have seen in secret? And he said unto me, All these things which you have seen will serve the dominion of his anointed, that he may be potent and mighty on the earth. And that angel of peace answered, saying unto me, Wait a little, and there will be revealed unto you all the secret things which surround the Lord of Spirits. I just want to point out that reminds me of the book of Daniel. Verse 6. And these mountains which you have which your eyes have seen, the mountain of iron, the mountain of copper, and the mountain of silver, and the mountain of gold, and the mountain of soft metal, and the mountain of lead, all these will be in the presence of the elect one as wax before the fire, and like the water which streams down from above upon those mountains, and they will become powerless before his feet. And it will come to pass in those days that none will be saved, either by gold or by silver, and none will be able to escape. And there will be no iron for war, nor will one clothe oneself with a breastplate. Bronze will be of no service, and tin will be of no service, and will not be esteemed, and lead will not be desired. And all these things will be denied and destroyed from the surface of the earth when the elect one will appear before the face of the Lord of Spirits. And while I'm in this book, we'll go ahead and read Wisdom of Solomon 2, 1-24. It says, For they said within themselves, with unsound reasoning, Our life is short and sorrowful. There is no healing when a man comes to his end. And no one was ever known, yeah, was ever known who was released from Hades, because we were born by mere chance, and hereafter we will be as though we had never been, because the breath in our nostrils is smoke, and the reason as a smark, a spark kindled by the beating of our heart, which being extinguished, the body will be turned into ashes, and the spirit will be dispersed as thin air. Our name will be forgotten in time, and no one will remember our works. Our life will pass away as the traces of a cloud and will be scattered as is a mist when it is chased by the rays of the sun and overcome by its heat. For our allotted time is the passing of a shadow and our end doesn't retreat because it is securely sealed and no one turns it back. Come, therefore, and let's enjoy the good things that exist. Let's use the creation earnestly as in our youth. Let's fill ourselves with costly wine and perfumes and let no spring flower pass us by. Let's crown ourselves with rosebuds before they wither. Let none of us go without his share in our proud reverie. Let's leave signs of mirth everywhere because this is our portion and this is our lot. Let's oppress the righteous poor. Let's not spare the widow nor reverence the gray hair of the old man. But let our strength be a law of righteousness, for that which is weak is proven useless. But let's lie in wait for the righteous man, because he annoys us, is contrary to our works, approaches us with sins against the law, and charges us with sins against our training. He professes to have knowledge of God and calls himself a child of the Lord. He became to us a reproof of our thoughts. He is grievous to us even to look at. 
because his life is unlike other men's and his paths are strange. We are a peculiar people. <laughs> we were regarded by him as worthless metal, and he abstains from our ways as from uncleanness. He calls the latter end of the righteous happy. He boasts that God is his father. Let's see if his words are true. Let's test what will happen at the end of his life. For if the righteous man is God's son, he will uphold him, and he will deliver him out of the hand of his adversaries. Let's test him with outrage and torture, and we will make, or we, yeah, we may find out how gentle he is and test his patience. Let's condemn him to, sh to a shameful death, for he will be overseen according to his words. So they reasoned, and they were led astray, for their wickedness blinded them, and they didn't know the mysteries of God. Neither did they hope for the wages of holiness, nor did they discern that there is a prize for blameless souls, because God created man for incorruption and made him an image of his own everlastingness. But death entered the world by the envy of the devil, and those who belong to him experience it. Now we move on to, to go ahead and read Ecclesiastes. Which says, hang on. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Now let's move on to the Basura, Brit Hadashah, part of the portion. Matthew 10, 16 through 28. And it says this. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves, because people will hand you over to Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me, to bear witness to them and to the nations. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because you are not speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will even rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. When they persecute you in one town, escape to the other, for I assure you, you will not have covered the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. We'll go to Matthew 13, 49 through 51. <clears throat> it says, 
So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have understood all these things, or have you understood all these things? Yes, they told him. Therefore, he said to them, Every student of scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who brings out of his storeroom what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. John chapter 19. Thirty-eight through forty-two. It says, "After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus." who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped him, wrapped it in linen clothes with aromatic spices, according to the burial customs of the Jews. Uh, there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed there. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation and since the tomb was nearby. And we'll end with Philippians. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. And it says, but everything that was a gain for, to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, and assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now that I have already reached the goal, or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. He's talking about the resurrection here. If, if you go back to verse 10, it says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And then in verse 12, it says, not that I have already reached the goal. What is the goal? The resurrection. Verse 14, again, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Resurrection. Uh, verse 16, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will transform, He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. That's the promise of the resurrection. That is the promise of entrance to the heavenly kingdom that does come to the earth. And that is the end of this Torah portion. Bless you guys and shalom.